When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's up to you. It's what you do with when people open the door with it. You know, my door wasn't, it was barely cracked open. You know, some other kids have the door that it's wide open, but it's still up to you what you do when the door is open. This podcast episode has just one sponsor, and that is on purpose. It is Discover Card. Their commitment to you in all ways is right at the very top. And their commitment to sponsoring the NHL to the teams and the players and the coaches and the GMs around the league, that's at the top as well. You want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back that you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year automatically with no limit on how much you can earn. Now, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing because of all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. You can learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2021 Nielsen Report. Limitations do apply. What's cracking? What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 180 of the Jim Rome Podcast. And thank you for finding your way back to the side hustle. It is great to be with you. And it's my pleasure to spend a few moments, in fact, more than a few moments, with a Hockey Hall of Famer. In fact, I want to go as far as to say this is one of my favorite athletes of all time. This is one of the best people of all time. Literally, that good of a guy. L.A. Kings legend Luke Robitaille is my guest this week. He is now the president of those same L.A. Kings where he's a two-time Stanley Cup winner as part of their front office. He also won the Cup as a player with the Red Wings in 2002. A lot to get caught up on, so let's get right into the conversation. It's episode 180 with NHL Hall of Famer Luke Robitaille, and it starts right now. Luke, it, I can't believe it. I'm so happy to have you on this podcast. It's been a while since you and I have had a chance to talk, but I really appreciate the opportunity to do so right now. Luke, how are you? How are things? Bring me up today. What's going on? Doing great. Doing great. It's been a long time, my friend. It's been a while. Uh, just the same. Uh, for me, it feels like I'm doing a little bit of the same as I've been doing the last few years. Just getting ready with the team. And, uh, you know, now that we're finally getting back to a little bit of normalcy. We're starting to have a few dinners out, out you know, out in some restaurants. And, uh, and besides that, you know, it's about the same, just trying to get better as a team. No, <laughs> I get that. Boring stuff. No, I understand that. And you're right. It's so good to be able to have a return to normalcy and to kind of get out a little bit. You're in the midst of building this thing out and it was a challenging year to be sure, but, and not to be cliche, but you're planning your work and you're working your plan. As you look back on this past season, what kind of thoughts do you have and about where you are with that plan? Uh, I think for us, I mean, obviously none of our, a few of our, I, I shouldn't say none, but a few of our, the kids that we've drafted the last few years play, but most of them were not on our team. And we kind of, you know, did that on purpose. We were fortunate. Uh, five years ago, we brought in the AHL, which is our, our farm teams, like AAA in baseball, on the West Coast. 
So because of that, our team was playing in our practice facility in El Segundo. So we were really able to keep a, a real close eye on all of our kids and really work on development. And we, we know that uh, in hockey, there's very few Crosby's and McDavid. Like you, it takes two, three, sometimes four years for a lot of kids to, to know exactly what they're going to be in the NHL. And then sometimes it takes them a couple more years to become the stars that they will be. So we, we, we feel like we bought ourselves a year with, with our kids. And I think for the long run, for the long haul, it's going to really help us. You know, to that very point, Luke, and you've made this point, and this is, you know, you're somebody who played the game at a very, very high level for a long time, but you understand that it took you a long time to figure it out. Like, you've made the point, you can't actually know how to win until you actually do win. So yeah. that said, what does it take to win in the NHL? Uh, God, the first thing is you got to – you know what's really hard in our league now, and I think there's – I mean, I, you know, I think all the leagues are the same. I shouldn't say that, but uh, maybe the NBA is a little bit different. But in our league, you you got to make the playoffs. And it, it takes a certain team that you got to have enough skill and enough grit to get in the playoffs. And then once you get in the playoffs, you you need almost like a, like a little bit of a different team to to expect to go further. And, and what I mean by that is. If, you look at Montreal this year, they just barely got in the playoffs and then they ended up winning because they, they added a lot of grit to their lineup in, in, in the last offseason, but they almost didn't make the play. They ended up firing their coach and everything. You look at us, the Kings in 2012 was the same scenario. We changed coach and we barely got in the play, but we were very greedy. We had no injuries and we ended up winning the cup. And it, it does take that in our league that once you get in the playoffs, you need that that little bit extra, that little extra grit. Uh, I mean, we, we, we're, everybody's talking about the. It's not like the rules change, but it's like the referees are letting a lot more go in the playoffs. So you got to be ready for that once you get in as an organization. So I think that's really interesting, Luke. So what do you do if you if you're looking for teams that can not only get in but win in the playoffs? Do you draft that grit? Do you coach that grit? How do you build that? I, I think number one is you try to draft that grit. You, you, like you, I don't think the size matter as much as the size of the heart. And, and for us, the way we've drafted the last few years, grit and, and, and the character, it's been our number one priority on any kids that we were in the first few rounds. And then we say, okay, we'll take a run at a few kids that maybe have skills because it's hard to know all the kids at 18 years old how much they love the game and how much they're willing to pay a price to help you win. But it's, you should be able to know at least in the first two rounds because you do a lot of work on, on these kids. And, and we've been really focused on drafting these type of players. Like, uh, you know, people were questioning uh, Alex Turka. There's players that maybe had a higher or different skill level than him, but what makes him special is like uh, – to give you an example, last year at the World Junior Championship, uh, you know, Trevor Zegers, there were some other players, like Caulfield, there was a lot of players that were really good for Team USA. But the best player in the last two games, which were the two big games that Team USA had to win to win the gold medal, the best player on the ice was Alex Durkoff. So it, when, it, when it mattered the most, he, he, he elevated his play. And that's, that's kind of... You know, I like that we drafted that kid. I know now that when the big games are going to come, this kid's going to separate himself from the group, and that's what you want. Like, he's got the skill, 
to help us get in the playoffs, but I think he's going to be able to elevate his game to help us win in the playoffs. How do you know that, though, Luke, right? I mean, that's what everybody's looking for. That's what you want, but you can't crack a guy open, right, and see whether or not he's got that within his heart. I mean, do you get that just by watching tape, by talking to people? How do you find out whether or not they've got that that thing, that it you're talking about? Uh, the first thing is we gotta you got to have a plan as an organization. I mean, Rob Blake laid out the plan for, for on the player's side, like what he wanted. And have good scouts. you got to be able to trust your scouts because they're the ones that are going to go in the kitchen. They're, they're going to meet the families. They're going to meet the kids, spend time and see the games and look for little things that people might not look for. And uh, you hope to hit it enough that by the time you, you have your team playing that uh, – you know, you, you can really make a dent in the playoffs. I mean, you look at Tampa Bay in our league for years and years. They've been one of the really good skill team. And then last year, their GM decided to say, okay, we're going to add grit to our team. And next thing you know, they won the cup. And this year, they're, you know, they're up to game seven in the semifinals. So, you know, it, it does take that in our league to get to that next level. You know, look, you mentioned Rob Blake. I, I hate to date us, but it seems like yesterday. Maybe it doesn't seem like that to you, but I was talking to you and Blakey as players, and I was the young guy coming up when we were talking about the Kings. I mean, were you guys ever, like, when you played at that level, did you ever think one day we would one day run this franchise, plan the future or the route of this franchise? Did you ever have thoughts or conversations like that back in the day, or were you just so locked into your moment day to day? Not once that I think that. Like, uh, I. I never thought, or you know, because when you're an athlete, you you really live day by day. You live the moment. I mean, it's it's as close to you. You never know what's going to happen. Uh, you know, if it's Monday, you you have no clue what's going to happen next Saturday because you have a game on Tuesday. You just focus on that, and then when the game comes, so you always only focus on. That. I do remember though when I was a player and Larry Robinson was our coach. And I had played with Larry and I felt Larry was changing a little bit because I didn't really know how much pressure there is when you're a coach or a manager because it's different. You can't play, you know, so you, you, even though everybody thinks you really make a lot of decisions, at the end of the day, the guys on the ice are the ones making the decision. But I do recall th- thinking if I'm ever in management, I will si- I will have a sign somewhere in my, my office that says, Never forget how it felt to be a player mm. because I felt like it, Larry had forgotten a little bit. But I think I was wrong now. Looking back, <laughs> Larry knew exactly what it felt to be a player. He just understood how hard some decision you have to make when you're either a coach or a manager. Hey, you want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back that you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year automatically with no limit on how much you can earn. Now, how amazing is that? In fact, even more amazing when you consider all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes, discover.com slash yes, 2021 Nielsen Report. Limitations do apply. You know, Luke, when you talk about some of these young guys and with what it's like when they come in, when you came to L.A., you were just 20. You didn't speak very much English. You didn't know anybody at all. You were a ninth-round draft pick. I'm curious, did any of the vets take an interest in you and take you under the wing? I mean, I know the answer, but for those who don't, who yeah. was that guy who did that? I mean, the, the guy that really took care of me was Marcel Dion. That was the first guy. He uh, 
he actually asked to be my roommate on the road. In those days, we used to have roommates. And uh, <laughs> then uh, when he went to see Rogi Vashon, I was our GM, and he asked him, he said, um, is this kid uh, going to make it? It was my, actually, he said these three kids. It was myself, Jimmy Carson, and Steve Duchesne. And Rogi thought we would we would make the team. So he said, okay. I'm gonna, <laughs> I think the first week we got to L.A., because training camp was very long, but we were on the road for a long time, is uh, we stayed at the Airport Park Hotel. In those days, for anyone that has a memory, that the Airport Park Hotel was a, a small hotel right next to the Forum. And it, it was like there were no casinos then, no football stadium, nothing. And it was like, I remember the players saying, uh, okay, don't don't go anywhere at night. Don't don't get out. And uh, so Marcel, I think, got us out of that hotel after about three or four days. And uh, I was lucky. I went to stay at Marcel's house. He was in Palos Verdes. And uh, that really helped me. I mean, he, he knew I was looking. If I made the team, I wanted to stay in a boarding house because I didn't want to have to struggle with finding an apartment, like uh, figuring out my life. I was really there. You know, I... I wanted to play hockey and I wanted to be the best I could be. And I didn't want to have to worry about anything yet until I'd be at least settled in into the NHL. So he helped me tremendously. Luke, I have to thank as a quick follow that Marcel, he knew that he knew that about you. There's no way Marcel Dion is going to take you in and take you under his wing, much less let you into his home unless he knew that you were a young, serious guy, right? Yeah, you know what's funny? Years later, I asked him uh, that that exact question, and he said, "Of all the kids, he said every year, whatever they would be a first round pick or or a high prospect, he would ask him, hey, if you make the team, have you thought of where you're gonna live?'" And he said, "All the kids would be like, I want to be on the beach, or some kids, uh, I can't wait to see Hollywood." And they they would th- that's what they would say. And and myself and Jimmy Carson were the only kids that said to him. Uh, we'd like to live in a boarding house and really make sure we're focused on hockey. He said it was the first time of all the years he had played in L.A. that two rookies had told him the same thing. Wow. And that's why he took – the funny thing, too, is he Marcel said uh, he kind of used it as an excuse, I think, with Carol, his wife. He said, look, we're going to bring this kid. He speaks French. He'll teach our kids how to speak French. <laughs> And, uh, but when, I actually did, his kids helped me speak English. That's I never, great. I never taught them a lick of French. Oh, that's great. <laughs> that is really funny. That is really funny. You know, look, I, I can go even further back. In fact, you and I haven't talked in a while, but just to reset this, like I grew up in Los Angeles and we had season tickets to the LA Kings way, way, way back in the day. And I'm talking about the days when at the forum, the Kings would pull maybe 7,500 people where after the games, you could go into the forum club. And in the forum club, the players would come in. I mean, it was such, the teams really weren't that good, but the energy was so great. And then years later, as when I worked at 690 AM in San Diego, I remember being invited to one of the King's functions and my wife, Janet came with me and we sat down and Rogi Vashon was the GM at that time. And Rogi, you know, Rogi, Rogi's very charming and Janet has no idea. And she's sitting next to him and Rogi's got his like martini glass at lunchtime with about 30 olives. And she's like, 
man, he, this is such a charming man. I'm like, that guy? You mean fucking Rogi Vashon? I mean, let me tell you about this guy. What an amazing player Rogi used to be. You have no idea. And I'm going on and on because she doesn't really know Luke Hockey. And I'm like, Rogi yeah. would stand on his head every single night, man. He was such an exciting player, man. Those were some great days. Great, great you, days. You're right. He was amazing. You know, the funny about Rogi, but I, keep, I totally understand your wife because if you don't really know hockey, but you, you know you you know about sports and you live in the U.S., you never think a professional athlete would be like what's Rogie? He was five foot eight, right? You know, like he's so small. She probably never thought for once this guy's a hockey player. You know, she would she would have never thought that. He just came across as a really nice, polite man. Yeah, a hundred percent, right? And but but you know, and I know that man. You put him between the pipes. He was electric. Like yeah. he kept them in every single game, and it, it was such an amazing time. Like, and I have great memories of that. But then you know, here in LA, of course, you guys started to win cups, but it all changed when '99 came. Like, look, I've done this yeah. a long, long time, and I don't. I mean, to me, even to this day, it is so surreal. Like, you don't trade Hall of Famers, and you don't trade the best who ever play the game in the prime of their life, and they really don't come to the L.A. Kings before the L.A. Kings are really the L.A. Kings. Can you remember what you were thinking when you first heard the possibility and then it became a reality that Wayne Gretzky was an L.A. King? Yeah, I, I could tell you that. It's kind of, I got a funny story on that. But Please. right before that, like a, I saw some of the stats when Rogi came in the, the Hall of Fame a few years ago. Right. And you know, like Rogi Vachon was the real first superstar in L.A. Right. Hockey. I mean, he, he, there were like a span of three years where the, the average attendance was over fourteen to 15,000. And it was he was the only guy that was holding the fort for, for the L.A. Kings. He was a real like early superstar that sometimes we forget about. But to come back on Gretz, you know when I heard about it, I, I could, this is a funny story. In 1988, at the All-Star Game in February, it was St. Louis, Bruce McNall had just bought the majority share of the team, and I made the All-Star team, and he flew myself and my dad to St. Louis. And after the game, we were flying back. He said to me on the plane, he goes, I think I have a shot at getting Gretzky. This was 1988 at the All-Star. And I was like, there's no way Gretzky's <laughs> ever coming right. to L.A. Like, like I, just, I just thought, there's no way. And then that year, he was the leading scorer in the NHL, won the Stanley Cup, was the MVP of the playoffs. And I, rem- I recall that summer, Bruce saying at some point in June, he said, I think we got a really shot, good shot at Gretzky. So I still never believed it. And then... As the as July was going on, and I was I was staying in LA, and Bruce McNall was real big on promoting the team, so he was doing different events. He kept saying, "I think I got a really good shot at Gretzky." And when it got near the end, I do recall that uh, he, he called me. He goes, uh, "I know there's a you, you're hearing some stuff about Gretzky." He goes, "Don't worry, I told you we'd never trade you, and it won't be you. It won't it won't be you." That's what he said to me. And, uh, I, I think I think he had said the same to Jimmy Carson, but Jimmy knew that if if Wayne was coming, we had Wayne and Bernie Nichols. He would end up a third line center, and it might not be a good thing for his career. So he thought he might. I think Jimmy gave the okay to Bruce to be on the trade. 
Oh, that, that's that's amazing. That is really fascinating. I mean, it, it it was such an absurd concept, right? Like he was again not just the best player in his sport, but arguably the best player in the history of his sport. Like the best player of any sport. I mean, it was the most amazing thing to see. Yes. So, like, I mean, because even to this day. You can have your discussion about who's the, the GOAT and who's the best, but there's never been anyone quite like 99. So when he got there, what was he like to skate with and what was he like as a teammate? Well, for me, you know, first of all, like, like Jimmy, like you're right, because you think statistically like what he's done, that would be like, uh, you know, the best player in baseball, you know, what's the best hitter? He hits 330 usually every year that he wins. Uh, sure. You know, so that would be one year you get a guy that comes in, they hit 400 the whole year. And the next year he hits 420. That's basically what Wayne did. Like our leading score was 100 to 120 points a year. He came in the next year, that 160, then did 200 points for a few years in a row. <laughs> Crazy. It's like, like, that's like bad. Will Chamberlain, didn't he average 50 points a game one year? Yeah. That's it. That's probably the closest. You know, and I, that's it. I, I mean, like, like ninety-two goals, like absurd yeah. stuff. Like, if you had, you're right. If you had a hundred points, a hundred points. That's like, uh, that's like uh, next year someone comes in and hits a hundred twenty home runs, right? A hundred ten, right? Like out of nowhere, you're like, what? That's like the greatest of all. It, that's it, what Wayne did in our year in and year out. I mean, he's got more. His assist total in the entire NHL leads the second leading score in the NHL. Like, yeah, you, you don't even count all of his goals, and he still leads the league in scoring in the history of the game, yeah, which and is truly incredible. It is. And then, look, really quickly, it's like, again, we're not talking about a guy, you don't look at him like a Mario Lemieux. You know, you, we're not talking about some incredibly imposing physical guy. I mean, Wayne yeah. did it with his, well, I mean, I want to say he did it with his brains, his hands, whatever it is, but you can tell me, how did he do it? Uh, he was he was above and beyond on his mind. His mind. He he played faster than everyone else. When everybody was going one way, he was going the other way. He just invented ways to play the game. He was the first player in our game to play the game behind the net in the offensive zone, where he would let everybody look at him, and then he would find guys on the open ice. He, his vision was uh, was incredible, but. You know, what no one talks about is his drive. Like, he wanted to be the best every day. If he, if he got two goals and it was 7-2, he wanted 8-9. and nine. You know, he was never going to stop. It's, he was To me, he was the hardest-working superstar to ever play the game, and that's what made him so, so, so special. Hmm. When you talk about you asked me earlier, so I changed the subject, about when he came to L.A., it changed everything. Oh, yeah, it did. I mean, it was like... Like, I, I remember we had, like, movie stars, like hey, Ronald Reagan. I mean, you name him, everybody was in our game. They would come in the locker room before the game. Everybody wanted to, Wayne, to, to meet Wayne and touch Wayne. And I think it was it was way above hockey. Like, he, he knew he had a responsibility to help sell the game, but it was bigger than, than the game itself. I mean, you look at our, our league after Wayne came to L.A., you know, there was suddenly a team in Anaheim, a team in San Jose, a team in Phoenix and Dallas and in Florida, even in Nashville. I, I remember Bruce McNall in the preseason game would make us play all these possible new markets that would come in the league. And we played, you know, in all these new arenas. And next thing you know, within the next four or five years, there were teams in all those areas. It was pretty amazing. You know, look, it's so funny that you, you mentioned that, that 
Wayne understood that it was bigger than him and that he was trying to sell the sport because it's been a while since I've, I've shared this story, but it's true. When I did that show on 690 AM, I can remember we called the Kings and I think maybe we said, hey, can we do an interview with Tony Granato? And I think the response was something like, yeah, but you know, yes, yes, Tony would love to do it, but would you like Wayne Gretzky? And I'm like, wait, what? Would you like Wayne Gretzky? And I said, yes, I would like Wayne Gretzky very much. And Gret- and I was shocked. I could not believe that Gretz, who, again, was the biggest thing in the world, would come on the radio show. And he comes on, Luke, and he does this amazing interview. And then we call back and we ask for somebody. And the response was, well, would you like Wayne again? And I said, well, sure, I'd love to have Wayne again. And the next thing you know, Wayne's coming on all the time. And I didn't understand why at that moment. And I certainly was not going to ask why, but that's what it was, right? He was trying yeah. to educate the community, the masses. He was trying to raise the sport up. That's what he was doing, right? He he was he knew that this was not Canada, and a lot of people didn't know the game. And when Wayne would speak, people would listen. So for him to 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 do the more interviews he did, the more like he he got people's attention. He really was aware of that, and that's it, I, I think. Every player should be grateful for him. Like it changed everything, you know. Like there's so many more players playing the game today because of him, and he he really understood that part. Yeah. So, Luke, you, I mean, your hockey life has been so amazing. Before I let you go, you win the cup with the Red Wings in 2002, and that team obviously was just loaded. I mean, absolutely loaded. It was an amazing locker room. But what was it like after all that time? The work that you put in, the journey that you took. What was it like as a player to get your name on the cup? Uh, I'll tell you, Jimmy, that it was the greatest feeling. And, and, and it was, you know, it's it's hard because you. I remember we went to the Stanley Cup final in 1993 with Wayne. And I remember Man. sitting in the locker room looking at Rob Blake, so we'll be back next year. And then the, the Kings didn't make the playoffs for like five years straight after. So you really think as a player it's going to happen every year. And then next thing you know, you're 10 years into your career. You haven't won it yet, and 11 and 12 and 13. And, and when I became a free agent that summer, I clearly remember talking to my wife, and we were looking, and, and I thought the kids are registered at school, so they're not going to be able to come with me the first year. So maybe we should try to stay somewhere on the West Coast. So San Jose just signed their left winger. There were a couple of the teams that were competitive. I was looking for a good team too. And I, at one point, my wife looked at me. She says, uh, well, who's the best team next year? And we had just beaten uh, Detroit in the playoffs that year. I, I, without a thought, I said, Detroit. She goes, well, why? I said, well, they're really good. And they finally got Dominic Hasek, which they had gotten Dominic Hasek the day before. So she said, well, why don't you try to go there? She, and I said, well, because it's far. She said, well, whether I have to go to Dallas or San Jose and get on a plane to go see you, I'd rather go to, you know, why don't you try to be the same team? It's only a couple more hours on the flight. So that's really how it happened. My age, I, I told my agent, why don't we try in Detroit? We called Detroit, and they didn't even know I was a free agent because everybody thought I was signed with L.A. And when they found out, I think we did the deal in about 45 minutes. And that's how I ended up there in it. It was the greatest thing because I, I knew they had a really good team and to be expected to win from the get-go and then to do it was truly an amazing feeling. And it's certainly something I cherish that I got to win as a player because I learned a lot too that year. Man, no doubt. And nobody can take that from you. But Luke, you, you mentioned 93. Like, I, It's such an amazing thing for those of us who were in L.A. and again – 
because I grew up in this town and I grew up watching that team, I mean, that team had the look. I mean, it was the most incomprehensible thing. If Gretz coming to L.A. was the impossible dream, the L.A. Kings at that time winning a Stanley Cup was the most far-fetched thing imaginable. And you're up two games to one. Roy Malacher and I used to just for years and years we would talk about this. Malacher never got over it, I don't think, no matter how much success he had. But what were you thinking, Luke? I mean, without rehashing the whole thing, a curved stick? Somebody really called that? I mean, did, yeah. did it feel to you like this was going to be a Stanley Cup winner that year, uh, in that moment? You, you, you don't know at the time. You're just playing every game. You're trying to win every game. You always believe you can do it. I, I do know, Jimmy, that they, you know, there's a policeman that told me years later that they made him look the other way and they measured four sticks. It was either three or four sticks. And it was Marty, my, my stick, Alex Zitnik, and Santrum. And it was four. But they, 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 because the way the stick racks were, you know, in, in, in the old form, they were, they were facing each other. They were only about 10 feet apart and they were right by their locker room. He, he did confess to me, I think it was like five years later that he was there. Uh, the, we should have, you know, we could have killed that penalty. We could have won in overtime. I think for me, the most disappointing thing was the next two games in LA. We totally outplayed Montreal, but we lost both games in overtime. And I think we outshot them two to one both games. And the the the, the, the old form was electric, and we didn't win those games. And if we would have won those games, it would have been a long series. Montreal wasn't a team that was used to flying. Back and forth. I think we would have won probably in six or, six or game seven, but it wasn't meant to be. I mean, look at Montreal that year. They won 10 games in overtime. I mean, to win 10 games in overtime in the entire playoff series is truly remarkable. See, Luke, this is, I mean, this is you. This is you. I would not expect any other answer than that from you. You, I mean, you, you have always been about responsibility, accountability, being upbeat, and you're not going to make an excuse. So obviously I think my final thought, and, and I could talk to you for hours, but there's a message in this. I mean, you were a ninth-round draft pick and somebody who allegedly couldn't skate and on and on and on, and yet you end up in the Hall of Fame. Yet you end up as the highest-scoring left wing of all time when you retire. You end up as a multi-cup-winning executive. I've got to know, like, at a time maybe when you were coming up and you weren't necessarily told you're the next great thing, you're the next big thing. In fact, you're a ninth-round draft choice. What was your mindset? What was your attitude? And what was your approach that drove you to such amazing heights when maybe the rest of the world may not have had the same expectations? I think my biggest thing, Jim, is like uh, my, I remember like I thought my name's on the list. My name is on the list. Now it's up to me. Like I, I didn't really I always look for the positive in things. You know, if someone would say bad thing in a newspaper about me, I'd say I'll prove him wrong. If it's a good thing, I'd say I'll prove him right. You know, now it was the same thing when I got drafted. I clearly remember that night being in Montreal and a couple of guys were like, oh, man, night's round. You know, it's almost like, you know, I don't think it's going to happen for you, kid. But then I remember thinking my name is on the list now. They have to look at me. They have no choice. And, you know, I went to my first camp, didn't make the team. And I, I was disappointed. I thought I had a chance of making the team. I thought I had a good camp. And they sent me home and I thought, okay, I disagree with them sending me home, but I'll, I'll show them they made a mistake. So I went and doubled my points uh, that year in, in junior. The next year, 
they had asked me, uh, Jimmy, like to get a little tougher. I picked the biggest guy at camp and he beat the living crap out of me. I mean, I got like 25 stitches over my eyes just to, just to prove it. And uh, guys laugh, but they, they, they never asked me to be tough again. They just asked me to score goals. But they sent me home again and I went and won the best player in Canada in junior. So I really gave him no choice to look at me, to, to, to pick me on their team. But it was up, up to me. Once my name was on the list, it was up to me. So I always tell kids, it's up to you. It's what you do with, when people open the door with it. You know, my door wasn't, it was barely cracked open. You know, some other kids have the door that it's wide open, but it's still up to you what you do when the door's open. What is this freaking prison? Go fight the toughest guy in the yard? You're, you're Luke freaking Robitaille, man. When you want to make it, when you want to make it, oh, I know. you got to be willing no, to I do know, more I know than you were, people. Luke. I, I don't know why they were asking you to when you were to go on to be the highest scoring left winger ever. But no, I know you were willing to, which is brings me to my final point. The irony in all this, Luke is that your nickname was Lucky. There's nothing lucky about this. I mean, sure, it's a funny game. The puck takes funny bounces. But when you look at what you put in, where you started and where you ended up, the irony is there's nothing lucky about this at all, right? No, it's not luck. I, I, you know, I, I believe you do make your luck, you know, but, you, you know, you got to be ready. And when your luck comes, you get you, you just got to be ready for it. But, but I do know... I had nothing to do with. I wasn't even a goal scorer until I hit the NHL because I, I must have shot like thousands and thousands of, of pucks, you know. And by the time I was 18, 19, because before that I wanted to be a playmaker. So you know, but it's not luck. It's what you're willing to put out that that will give you a real opportunity. Finally, then. So what did it feel like to get your name on the cup as an executive, and what would it mean to do it again? Uh, gr- greatest feeling it, it, when you win it as an executive you realize when you're a player it's about the players and the trainers in the room and you go through this war when you win it as an executive you realize how many people it influence like every fan some people could be a season seat holder for 40 years and you see and then you, you realize how much work goes behind the scenes so it was an incredible feeling. And for me, because the LA Kings mean so much to me, it was it was an incredible feeling to be able to bring it back to this city and these fans. Mm. You know, finally, Luke, you know, I had dinner with the other night, uh, Craig Johnson, who lives down the street from me. And you want yeah. to talk about time, man. He is such a good dude, right? Such a good dude. Yeah. How about how about Craig Johnson having a son who was a first round draft pick from Irvine? How wild is that? Ryan. He's pretty awesome. And he's a good little player. They, you know, because Craig's working with us, it's probably better we didn't draft his son. But if we would have been able to pick him at the spot we had, we would have kept him. Hey, what do you think about Ryan? What do you think about his prospects? He, he's a great skater. He's, he's going to play in the NHL. He's going to be a re- very impactful player. He's, uh, he's the real deal. I mean, he's, he's such a good skater. He's going to influence the game just the way he skates. And then on top of it, as he matures, he's going to be a really good defenseman in the NHL. Yeah, it's just wild, isn't it, right? Like my, my son and he, they play baseball together down the street. It's just it's an amazing thing. You know, I talked to Tony the other day because our other son, Luke, goes to Wisconsin. So I saw Tony. I just, I, I don't know. I just love that you and I could come together and we could talk about these things back then, back now. In short, Luke, it is so great to get caught up with you. You are always one of the truly great people, and it's so good to have you on this podcast. And it's really great to get caught up, Luke, sincerely. It was great to see you. you got to bring 
bring your family to a game next year. Absolutely, positively, I will take you up on that. They would love to, and I appreciate that invite. So you take care of you and your family, and it's great to have you on, Luke. I will. Same to you, Jimmy. Great talking to you, bud. What did I say about Luke Robitaille? Nobody better. Nobody better. An enormous thanks to Luke. We rarely get a chance to stretch out for some puck talk like that, and I am so glad that Luke made time for it. So great to get caught up with him. Thanks as well to Discover Card for being the exclusive sponsor of this week's episode. Now, you want to hear something amazing. Remember, Discover matches all of the cash back that you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year automatically with no limit on how much you can earn. Now, how incredible is that? In fact, it's even more amazing because of all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. You can learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2021 Nielsen Report. Limitations do apply. Remember, I'd love for you to subscribe so you can hear more chats just like this one because there are plenty more where that came from, such as episode 181, which will drop a couple of weeks from right now. But in the meantime, here are your voicemails. First new message. Romy, what's up, buddy? Hey, it's uh, Dave in uh, Marietta, or Marita, or wherever I am. Hey, I'm driving between Tustin Ranch and the Temecula Pine Valley this morning, trying to listen to that goddamn app. And you want to talk about an acid trip. Dude, this app was running between about two or three different segments of different days of your show. So I went straight from Jeff in Southfield and his outrageous takes to Macaulay with the alarm. Dude, tell these guys at Odyssey to get their crap together. Jesus, I'm trying to get caught up and I can't. Message deleted. Next message. Jimbo, what's up? It's Dr. Dave. Just finished watching the U.S. Open. It was great to see Ron hit those two putts on 17 and 18 to win it. It was great to see Brooks and Bryson both choke on the back nine. Bryson is totally full of shit. His science is full of cracks. I mean, if he was in Science Olympiad, he would finish in fucking last place. I mean, I did that in high school, so I know pretty well what it would do. And what is this deal with Chael and his $50,000 lawsuit against you? It's just another fucking gimmick for Smackoff. He used to go and put his RFID wallet in his fucking back pocket make his pants all crinkly and misshapen, and get the fuck out of here. Later. Message saved. Next message. It's Saturday morning after the Jazz loss, and I'm just sitting here licking my wounds. You know, I got to give a shout-out to the big head for the bets so far this year. I got into the game mid-NFL season and started falling big head bets, and I've been, he's made me some money. So I got to give it to you, big head. I appreciate it. But damn, every year. Our best look at it in decades for the Jazz. I just don't know why they couldn't get Antoine Carr, big dog out there, to lay some bodies on the floor. Good hell, they let man play like he's Kobe Bryant. Anyhow, I think I'm out of this game. I'm trying to, well, that's what I say, and uh, I had hit my online sports book to check lines, and sure enough, hit the Suns. Suns for the championship with the last remaining, but I think that's it. I gotta lick my wounds and get out of this game. Message deleted. Next message. Hey, Jim. Kirby from Utah. Hey, it is a proven fact. Tim Legler just said it. Basketball players are pussies. Hockey players play through everything. You don't see hockey players taking any time off right now. The NBA is a joke, and the players are a bunch of pussies. I'm out. Message deleted. You have no more messages.